Lord, I just I thank you for uh, this opportunity to come before you to learn, to grow in our knowledge of you, to be filled with your strength, to be renewed this morning. I pray that that would happen, that you would uh, teach us from your word. In your name, amen. So like Seth said, uh, we were, my wife and I, living in Utah the last four years. And a couple years ago, while we were out there, Dara had one of her good friends and her aunt and her mom, CJ, come visit us. It was a particularly cold winter, and I was going to make a joke about how you don't know anything about that, but it was actually pretty cold this morning. I was very surprised. Uh, So you might know a little bit about that. But it was later in the day, and we decided to go get some coffee, as we do. And so we went out to a place about 10, 15 minutes from where we lived. And uh, while we were there, a storm blew in. It was snowing like crazy. Uh, I mean, full-on blizzard. It was pretty quickly evident to us that we needed to head for home. So we packed in our cars. There and I were in one. Um, the others were in a different one. And we headed home. Uh, while we were on our way home, um, it was getting bad. There was cars going off the road. There was accidents. I mean, just like 10 minutes in, it was already that bad. There was one point where we were on the freeway, in the middle of the freeway, going backwards because of how much ice and wind and snow had already built up. Well, we had made it home, and Dara calls the other car um, and finds out that her mom had pushed their car up a hill in the middle of a blizzard, snow, freezing. And I want to just reiterate that I wasn't in that car. I was elsewhere. We had gotten separated. (laughs) I wasn't there. Uh, But it was insane. But in all of that, in the fear of anything could happen out there and was happening out there, we knew that if we got home, that we would be safe, that it was going to be okay, that there was shelter there, that as bad as it was outside, within the confines and the walls of our building, we were going to be okay. What we see in Psalms 46 is a similar picture. The writer builds this contrast between what we see in the world and how bad it is to what we find within the city of God. Look with me at Psalm 46. Though we just read this, I'm going to read again verses 1 through 7. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. 
Now, what we can do with passages like this is kind of take little parts out of them and use them, put them on paintings, um, and memorize these little bits. And that's awesome. These, these little phrases have great, amazing truths for us. But when we do that, we lose the context in which they're given. The psalmist here, like I said, is building this contrast. And the contrast that we see is what gives the power and weightiness to the rest of it, to those truths. This contrast is between a world and all of its sinful destruction and the holy city of God. So what do we find in the world? We see mountains tremble. We see nations raging. Kingdoms totter. Today we see abandonment. We see poverty. We see abuse. We see hunger and financial ruin. We see no hope, heartache, no peace, injustice, political strife. We see loss of freedoms. We see calls to love but only offer hate. There's no hope, there's no peace, there's chaos. I think everyone in this room has probably experienced some of that, especially in the last couple of years. We have felt the stress of that, or the distress of that, both personally, nationally, globally. So what does that mean for us as believers? Where does that put us? We see this chaos, yet as believers, do we live in that? Do we, like the rest of the world, just do the best we can to get by? Verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. A refuge and strength. Trouble in times when we need it. A refuge is defined as a condition of being safe or sheltered from pursuit, danger, or trouble. God is our refuge. This is an absolute. We are sheltered from what is happening. We are sheltered from what's out there, the world. We are sheltered from the mountains trembling and being cast into the sea, from the seas and the waters that are roaring. The storms do not get beyond the walls of his city. His city is secure. And if you are found in that city, you are secure in the midst of it. Because God is present. He is there. And where he is, there is shelter. There is safety. So the first contrast we see today is that though the mountains tremble, the fortress of God is secure. He is there. He is our security. He doesn't come and go. He isn't a distant God as some would think. He isn't uninvolved in your life as others might think, but he is very present to help you in your times of trouble. And to be clear, this isn't saying that we aren't affected by what's happening in the world or that we don't have any experience 
of it, but when we do, we have a help. We won't be moved because we are secure in his shelter. So what kind of help is that? What does that look like? Well, in Acts 1, if you'll turn with me there, Acts 1, verses 6 through 8, we see this. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. It says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what we see here is the disciples asking when Jesus is going to restore Israel as a nation, as a city, as a fortress to the earth. When is this going to happen? Where are they going to have the security of this earthly kingdom, the security of an earthly army? But what does Jesus say to them? He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Not when that is restored then, but you will have it now within the means of the Holy Spirit dwelling in your midst. It is not by some earthly kingdom that they have that. It's not by an earthly military that they are secure. It is by the Holy Spirit within them. And it's not a military going out into the world to conquer. It is the gospel going out into the nations. A fortress stronger than any earthly one could be. So I ask, are we living in the chaos by our own means and trying to build our own fortress and our own safety? Or are we living with the Holy Spirit in us? Is there the Holy Spirit guiding, convicting, offering hope, giving grace? I don't know what your personal time of trouble is, but what more could you ask for in that than the Spirit of God within you, bringing you through that? So what is the result? If that is true, what is the result of that? Well, in verse 2 it says, Therefore, because of this, therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Because we have a fortress, because we have a very present help, we will not fear. Remember, this contrast is mountains trembling. It is the worst of worst times. Nothing gets worse than this. It's like end times, apocalyptic. That's what he's describing. In that, we will not fear. And if even in that, in the worst thing he could describe, if that we won't fear, then in the little things as well, in the daily, we won't fear because God. In the chaos, the presence of God brings peace. Without his presence, there is fear. There is no hope. But with it, where he is, there is peace. So whatever you may be facing today, whatever you may be facing in this new year, in God's presence, have no fear. As believers, we have been given 
a helper. We're no longer swayed by the storms. We don't go down with the mountains. When trouble comes, our lives don't go crashing down. We stand secure in the promises of God. We don't lose hope. We don't take on the weight of the world. We rest in him and we find peace in his presence. But here's the important part in this, because it can sound good, but practically, how? To be able to rest in that peace, to not have fear, you must first believe that first part, that God truly is your refuge and strength, that he is truly there, present with you. Because if you're not believing that, then you're not going to rest in that and have that security. You have to believe that that is true. And that's why the therefore is there. If this is true, which it is, therefore, we have this. Therefore, we do not fear. So you won't experience the truth until you believe it. So believe that and rest in it. This week while I was preparing, I told Dara, my wife, that uh, I had to really come up with a good illustration because Pastor Seth always has good illustrations, specifically movie ones. And I was like, this church is expecting that, right? Like week after week. Uh, and then if you were here a couple weeks ago, Brent preached and I mean, wow, that movie illustration, it was and I can say this because I don't think he's here this morning, but I don't know what came first, the illustration or the sermon. You almost wonder, like, did he think this is going to be a good illustration and then build the sermon off? It was that perfect. It was that perfect. Um, but luckily, I didn't have to think too hard because uh, maybe you, like me, when thinking of a stronghold, of a fortress, the first thing that would come to your mind, as it did mine, was the Lord of the Rings. I mean, right? Uh, specifically the two towers. It is just this epic movie and battle between good and evil. Uh, and in that movie, there is this battle of Helm's Deep. The war is raging outside of it. There is evil, and people run to this castle to find some security. It is a place of solitude that is unbreachable. Yet when trouble comes to them, when evil's outside their doors, when the armies show up, what happens? We see that those inside are struck with great fear. Suddenly, it didn't matter what was between them and that evil. They were afraid. They heard the chaos on the outside and they lost hope completely. If only their army was bigger, if only their walls were thicker. And we can often live in the same way. We can forget what's between us and out there and lose hope. We can see what's happening in the world around us and forget who is our security. And this is where the forgetting and not believing that first part can happen and is so important. 
rest in that and believe that God truly is a refuge, an unbreachable refuge. Don't lose sight of what's in between you and that trouble. The trouble is going to come, but you are secure in the fortress of God. Am I believing this? That he's my refuge, he's my strength. That he is not just present, but very present. Because through that belief will flow the peace of God. And that strength comes only from him. We don't have any part in that. And when we try to, that's when things start to fall apart again. We're weak, we fail, we're often too emotional and too easily swayed by the world. But God uses the weak, doesn't he? He uses the weak in the world. He didn't choose you because of you, but despite you. Paul says that he can do or endure all things. Why? Because God is the one who strengthens him. So if you fear the future this morning, fear what is happening today in the present, fear for this new year, fear tomorrow, fear your finances, fear your job, fear loss of freedoms, whatever it may be for you, the answer is to grow in the knowledge and trust of God. Believe in who you stand. His fortress has not failed. It is well proved. So return to that. We are secure. We have peace, not fear. And as good as that is, we aren't left there. The writer goes on, and we're told that we can even be glad and delight in the midst of everything that is going on. In the midst of this chaos, we can even delight in it. How is that happening? I mean, not fearing is one thing, but delighting is something else. Look with me again at verses 3 through 7. It says, Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our strength. The next contrast that we see here is that though the waters rage, the fortress of God is our delight. We are not just secure in it, but it is our delight. We're given this picture of the stream making glad the city of God. There's roaring seas and mountains being cast into the waters outside, but inside there's a stream that makes glad the city of God. The people are enjoying it. They praise and worship. And this image of a stream is not uncommon in the Bible. We saw last week as well in Revelation how there is a stream that will come from the throne of God in eternity. 
If you were an Israelite reading this, you would probably think of the Gion Spring in Jerusalem. See, Jerusalem is in a dry desert place. And finding water, especially for a city, was crucial. Yet there was a single stream of water that came alongside the city, the Gion Spring. And that spring was absolutely vital to the survival of Jerusalem. They needed that fresh water source. Being quenched by the living, life-giving waters of God is also vital to our survival. And God offers that. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Without that stream, we're left with the raging seas. And in them, we are swept away. I know for me personally, this can be very true. If I am not constantly fed by God, if I go long periods of time or even short periods of time without uh, being fed by him either through the word, through praying, through the preaching of the word, through fellowship, that I'm easily swayed, that I lose the joy of the Lord. Life suddenly seems uh, bleak and, and burdens seem heavier, right? God doesn't simply offer us strength and peace to get by. We are meant to bask in his goodness. To delight in his gifts and his promises. Spurgeon notes on this passage that the streams are not transient like Cherith, nor muddy like the Nile, nor furious like Kishon, nor treacherous like Job's deceitful brooks. Neither are their waters shallow like those of Jericho. They are clear, cool, fresh, abundant, and gladdening. We have the ability to delight amongst the calamity because we can daily drink from this life-giving, eternal, gladdening, truth-giving spring of God. This is the mean to which we believe that he is our refuge, that he is our strength. And to live in that peace, to do that, we have to be filled by him. Do this, drink from this stream, and this will be true of you. You will know the security of God. You will feel that. You'll live in it. But to be clear, this isn't having some rose-colored glasses and not seeing the world for what it truly is. We see the world for what it is, and through that, we see God is in control. We see through God's sovereignty and what he is doing in the world. We have a proper perspective of what's happening. Not that it's just all chaos, but that God is over it and God is in control. And we delight in that knowledge. His presence brings the joy because he has your future, not the world and what's happening. We rest in God's truths. So trouble will come. Calamity will fall on us. We can't escape what is happening around us. 
but we are promised that God is in our midst. That's what it says in verse five. God is in her midst. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. When morning dawns, God gets up early. Did you know that? He's there first thing ready for you. To give you that peace. To be with you. This is sure. And if we're not feeling that, if we don't feel that this is true, that means that we have turned our back on God. Because God is sure. He is there. He is in your midst. So we need to turn back to God. We need to believe that he is there, that he is with us. There is another city in the Lord of the Rings series, one that despite their turmoil and the calamity in the world, Within its walls, there is peace, almost a serene joy, that being the city of Rivendell. Everyone was fully aware of what was going on outside, but when they entered this city, it didn't matter. It was beautiful. There was lush trees. There was waters, waterfalls. Everything was going to be okay within that city. It didn't change what was outside, but it was living in what was there. Our life isn't going to be magically easy. We aren't promised prosperity. But take heart, God has overcome the world. Are we seeing him as far more majestic than anything else that is out there? that everything dims in comparison to who he is. John 16:33 gives us that. John 16:33 says, "I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world." It's not that it's not there, but it's we rest in the peace of who God is in it, amongst it. What the writer does from here is turns from the stillness of the presence of God to the raging war and nations outside. It's the climax of everything going on, all of this evil and turmoil at your front door now. It's not just out there. We're not just living in peace and something else out there. It's here. So what do we do then? Will God be true to his word? Will we be safe under his wing? Will the wall stand? Will the joy leave? He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So this tropical storm and, and war outside, just on the other side of those walls. It's there, but we are not affected by it because of who is between us and it. We 
what we see next is the result of all of this. All these things happening, what is the outcome? Read with me verses 8 through 11. It says, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So the last contrast that we see here is the world will be destroyed, but God will be exalted. God will be exalted. We are called to take our eyes off of the world and its works and put them on God, to behold our God. He has proved faithful. He has accomplished what he has promised. With a word, he breaks down everything. So we're called to focus not on the world, but on God and what he is doing. When we look upon him, that's when we can rest in what the psalmist is saying. That's when we can drink from his streams. So are you beholding your God this morning, church? Are you seeing what he is doing in the world? Not just the calamity, but the work of God. The storms of God have no hold on him and they have no hold on you if you are found in him. Your pain is real, but it has been overcome. Your struggles, the tribulations, the heartache, they are real, but they are temporary. And we're often too focused on what that and those things that are happening and not on how God is moving in us. And this is an invitation, an invitation to see God as your king, to see that he keeps his promises in the midst of trial, to live in his fortress and not the world's. Cyprian of Carthage was a third century bishop, notable early church father, and he wrote what is known as the letter to Donatus. And in this letter, he wrote about how the church was being desensitized by the world, that their morality was being broken down by what was happening around them. In it, he says this, every age is reminded by what it hears that what has been done can be done again. To hear or to behold is to remember. You see, they were focusing on the world to the point that it was desensitizing them. It was breaking down the morality of their souls, as he says. What they were doing was so ingrained in them, what the world was doing, that it was not that bad. It was okay. They'd taken their eyes off of God and put it on what was happening around them. What we remember is what becomes truth in our minds. And that is how we begin to live. And that's how we see the world. 
when we behold the works of God in our lives, we remember who he is. When things get hard in our fear and in our doubt, we remember that God has provided for us, that he has been faithful and he will be faithful again. You may have noticed that in this psalm, two different times, it says God of Jacob. You may have also noted or noticed that there's a footnote for very present that says well-proved. So in every portion, there's something pointing us back to the past. Well-proved, God of Jacob, God of Jacob. The past reminds us of who God is in our present and in our future. He has been faithful. He was faithful to Jacob. He was faithful to Moses, to Daniel. He will prove faithful again. Remember what God has done and know that he will do it again. So are you beholding him and hearing from him this morning? Is his voice the one that you are letting in? There's a lot of voices in our world today. Is his the one that we remember when things get hard? In this world of chaos, we can only but turn to God for the preservation of our souls. Anything else breaks down the morality of our souls and takes our eyes off of him. So stop and consider today, this week, what has God done for you this last year? Think back and consider how he has proved faithful. And sometimes it's easy to see and other times it takes time and we have to consider and think through what we have been through and how we came out on the other side. We can see where God is working. But if we don't behold his works, if we simply move on, we forget. And if we forget, it's as if it didn't happen at all, if he wasn't there and present in your life. So don't allow that to happen. A lack of considering leads to a lack of acknowledgement, which leads to a lack of praise. So take the time to stop, consider, acknowledge, and praise God this week. Exalt him for who he is and what he has done for you. And know that he will do it again. As this passage lays out, beholding the works of God in your life has a direct correlation to exalting God, to knowing God. There is no safety, as we've seen, outside the fortress and refuge of God. There is destruction and there is judgment, both from the nations and from God. So I ask you this morning, where do you find yourself? Is it in his presence? Is it in his comfort, being fed by his waters? Or are you amongst the chaos? And there is really two aspects to that. Maybe, maybe you know the shelter of God, and maybe you have been there, but you've left it, and you've wandered out into the world, into the storm, and you've forgotten. You've taken your eyes off of him and are focused now on the evil in this world. And have lost hope. 
the writer would encourage you to look back again, to behold him once again. To live in his presence and his loving kindness towards you. To exalt in the fact that we, a disobedient people, can find shelter in him, a gracious savior. Or maybe you've never known this shelter, that this is completely foreign to you. The psalmist would say, similar to you, behold God, know him, see the shelter that lies within his walls. He will be exalted. That is not the option. God will be exalted in the nations. The option is whether we will be there under his shelter, exalting him. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me all who are all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There is rest in Jesus today, church. There is. Live in that rest. In the year fifteen twenty seven, Martin Luther read this psalm and proceeded to write a hymn. This would become an incredible hymn that we sing even today. It is considered to be the greatest hymn of the greatest man in the greatest period of German history. It is said to have been sung by persecuted people on their way to exile and by martyrs on their way to death. The words of it show an absolute solid foundation in the words of God despite one surrounding. A few excerpts from this go as follows. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. And though this world with devils filled, should, strip, should threaten to undo us. We will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Find shelter in the fortress of your God today. There is rest there. There is strength there. There is joy there. Find shelter in that fortress today. Let's pray.